This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Look at it together, Psalm 81, and we'll look at the whole psalm together and follow along in your copy of God's word. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I delivered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Mirabah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Father, we pray that as we prepare to dig into your word now, that it would be a feast to our souls. We need the nourishment that can come only from you. And so we pray now that we would turn to you, that our hearts would be inclined to you, and that the Holy Spirit would work deeply within them for your glory's sake. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's something about little boys and and tents. I can remember uh, summer days, I've been reminded of them over the past couple of weeks. Summer days where it would be so hot outside, my mom wouldn't let me go outside and and play. And so one of the ways I would entertain myself was by taking kind of high bar stools and taking uh, sheets and draping them over the top of the stools in the den. And I would kind of make my own tent inside and uh, later on uh, going out with my my friends in the neighborhood and pitching a tent in the backyard and sleeping out there mosquitoes and 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 all and and I'm pretty sure I know what the favorite feast day was a favorite feast of of ancient Israelite boys it had to be the feast of tabernacles Because what would happen is that Jewish families would come to Jerusalem and they would pitch tents for a week. They would essentially camp out and they were remembering God's faithfulness to them during their time in the wilderness. When God, after the Exodus and before they got to the land of Canaan, when when they moved about in tents, And when God would meet with them in a tent, in the tabernacle. And so therefore it was called the the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a celebration, a remembrance of God's faithfulness to them in the wilderness. You know, in a way, 
we are in the wilderness as, as well because we have been delivered from slavery to sin. We've experienced an exodus of our own. And so we've been delivered from bondage to sin. We are on our way to the promised land, to heaven and ultimately a new heaven and earth. But right now we're in an in-between time as God's people. We are in the wilderness. But we have the promises of God in the wilderness. Promises of his provision. Promises of his protection. Promises of his presence as he goes with us. Now that's what Psalm 81 is all about. So we're gonna look at it this morning in four parts. Celebration, remembrance, admonishment, and promises. First of all, celebration. And we see that in verses one through three. The psalmist says, sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. So verse three alerts us to the fact that this is the Feast of Tabernacles that they're talking about because of the timing of these moons. And notice in verses one and two, the sheer energy and exuberance in worship. He says in verse one, sing aloud. Not just sing, but sing loud. Why? Look at verse one again. Sing aloud to God. We should sing loudly when we come to worship because we are singing to God, whether it's a, a, a new song or an old song, whether it's a song we've never sung before or a song that we've sung 10,000 times before, these songs are to God. And so therefore, as verse one says, sing aloud to God. Why? Because of who he is, because he is worthy of our our full-throated, whole-hearted praise. Sing aloud to God our strength. Look at verse one again. Shout for joy. Worship should be joyous celebration. Verse two, raise a song. Raise a song. All the language here is, is, is energetic language. We're, we're being exhorted to, to pour our whole hearts, our whole selves into the praise of God because God is worthy of that. Um, we so need this. We, 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 so, we so need praise in our lives. I mean, how, I can't tell you how many times I've come to worship with a burden or some kind of distraction or something going on in, in my life and something, something just kind of, kind of weighing on me. And then you kind of get into the praise of, of God and, 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 and that praise of God just enables us to, to see who he is. And when we see who he is, our problems seem so small in comparison. That's what praise does for us. One of our former pastors, J.C. Mitchell, had a sermon called How to Praise Your Way to Victory. 
And we need to do that sometimes. As we, as we praise God with our whole hearts, then, then our, we're enabled to gaze upon God and glance at our problems. God is so much bigger than any of that. And so celebration and worship is just so important. Second, in Psalm 81, we see something about remembrance. Remembrance. And we see that in verses four and five. He says, for it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. Now that last phrase in verse five tells us what they were remembering. They were remembering what God had done in delivering them from slavery in Egypt when the angel of God went out over the land of Egypt. They're remembering the Exodus. And and listen, it is so helpful, again, for us as believers to understand that we have been a part of a new Exodus. Very important for understanding how the Bible fits together in the Old Testament and the New, and very important also for you to understand kind of where you are right now in in salvation history, in the story of redemption, where you are right now. Because as I said earlier, the wilderness, which is what Psalm 81 was associated with, right? They, it was a psalm that was used at the Feast of Tabernacles, which was all about the wilderness experience. So the, the wilderness was the time after deliverance from slavery in Egypt, but before they got to Canaan, before they got to the promised land. They were on their way, but they weren't there yet. And that's exactly where we are as New Covenant believers as well because we have been delivered from slavery and bondage to sin. We know that we're on our way to the promised land. We're on our way to heaven and ultimately a new heaven and earth. But right now, it's an in-between time for us. We're We're in the wilderness, okay? And so our experience parallels. Tim Keller tells about a time when he was a new Christian as a college student, and he'd begun to read the Bible on his own, and he was trying to make sense of the Old Testament and how that fit together uh, with his faith as a a Christian and everything. Um, And so one day a friend invited him to go to the Ligonier Valley in western Pennsylvania, and there was a guy named R.C. Sproul who later became more well-known, but at the time, R.C. was just hosting college and seminary students basically in his, in his house, and so they would sit together on the floor, and R.C. would have these Bible scholars to come in and basically just do Q&A with them. And that particular night, R.C. Sproul had invited the Old Testament scholar, Alec Motier, to, to come and to dialogue with these students. And so they're sitting around R.C. Sproul's living room and these, these students are sprawled out on the floor. And somebody asked Dr. Motier, so how does our faith as believers connect up with the Old Testament? Which was exactly what Tim Keller had been struggling with. And Dr. Motier gave an answer that would 
mark Tim Keller's life and, and, and ministry, Dr. Motier said this. He said, imagine if you were a believing Israelite in the, in the wilderness and somebody asked you to give your testimony. Who, who are you? <laughs> what, what are you all about? How would, a, how would a believing Israelite in the wilderness have answered that question? And he said, he said this, think about it. Think about what an Israelite would say on his way to Canaan after passing through the Red Sea. If you asked an Israelite, who are you? He might reply, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and bondage, but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb and our mediator led us out and we crossed over. Now we're on our way to the promised land, though we're not there yet. But he has given us his law to make us a community and he has given us a tabernacle because we must live by grace and forgiveness and he is present in our midst and he will stay with us until we arrive home. Now, isn't that almost exactly what we would say if someone asked us for our testimony? I hope that's what you would say because what's happened to you as a believer, right? You were once under the sentence of sin and death. You were in bondage, you were a slave to sin, but you were delivered from that. You took shelter under the blood of the lamb, right? All those Passover lambs that were sacrificed in the first Exodus, every single one of them pointed to the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. They all pointed to Jesus. And so what have you done as a Christian? You have taken shelter under the blood of the lamb, and so therefore you have been delivered from slavery and bondage to sin, the ancient Israelites passed through the Red Sea, right? The water standing up on both sides. What happened as a believer, right? You were enveloped and surrounded in the waters of baptism in celebration of the fact that you had been delivered from slavery and bondage. And you know that as a believer, you're on your way to where? You're on your way to the promised land, a forever promised land, but we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. Right, right now, we're in the wilderness, but God has promised to be with us and to provide for us and to protect us, and he has promised us his presence, and therefore our hearts can surge with hope even, even now, even in these times. And 2020 is a reminder, right, that we're in the wilderness. Earth is not heaven, it's not, but we're headed there. And we are headed to a new heaven and earth when Jesus returns and therefore our hearts can surge with hope because God is with us. Now, who is this God? Let's look again at verse five. He says, I hear a language I had not known. Now, now who is he talking about here? Well, it's clear from verses six and seven that God is a speaker. God is a speaker in verses six and seven. And so this unknown language is coming from God. But he's not talking about the fact that God was literally speaking a language they didn't know, like God wasn't speaking Hebrew or something. That's not it. When he talks about God speaking an unfamiliar language, he's talking here about the otherness of God. God is God. God is holy. God is other. Let me tell you something. God is not a souped up version of you. God is God. 
And we, we need to recapture a sense of the otherness of God, the holiness of God. That's what he's talking about. And then what does God remind, remind them of in verses six and seven? I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. He's talking about their experience in Egypt, right? The Pharaoh said, you gotta make these bricks without straw. And so they were weighed down. They were carrying these, these heavy baskets and these burdens and they cried out to God and God heard their cry. And God delivered them. And in this Psalm, God is calling his people to remember his deliverance. And listen, for us, we as New Covenant believers should continually remember God's deliverance. Preach the gospel to yourself continually, daily. Go back to this and remember who you are, that you are a child of God and that you have been delivered. That as we sung and turned your eyes upon Jesus a few minutes ago, that sin has no dominion over you. Preach Romans 6 to yourself over and over and over that you're not a slave to sin, that you are a child of God, that you have been redeemed, you have taken shelter under the blood of the lamb, death has been conquered by a risen savior. Repeat, go over those things, preach those truths to yourself over and over and over again every day, we so need it. We need to remember these things. And so we see celebration, we see remembrance. Third, we see admonishment. Verse eight, hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me. One of the most important words in the Old Testament is the word hear. And we see it twice here in verse eight. It's translated as hear in the first word, but later on in verse eight, when, when God says, if you would but listen to me, that's the same word in Hebrew. Hear, listen. That's at the very beginning of the prayer that pious Jews like Jesus would repeat every single morning, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your, all your strength, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But the Shema begins with what word? Hear, hear, listen. And listen, if you really hear God, if you really hear, then you will heed what God says. There is no such thing as hearing God without heeding what God says because if we are truly listening to him, then we're going to obey. The words are not gonna go one ear and out the other. We're gonna put them into practice. It's gonna be accompanied by obedience, by a turning away from idols, which is exactly what he says in verse nine. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. You know, there might not be statutes to Baal or a Asherah poles in our homes, but there can be plenty of idols in our lives. Whether it's idols of money and materialism or idols of sex and lust or idols of power and selfish ambition and the list can go on and on and on. Comfort idols, on and on and on. 
As Calvin said, our, our hearts are idol factories. And we have to continually trash our idols. Verses 11 and 12, but my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. C.S. Lewis once said there are two categories of people in the world. People who say to God, thy will be done, or, and people who, who, to whom God says, thy will be done. In other words, if you say to God long enough, I want my own way, God will eventually say, okay, have your way. Have your way. And, and God gives us over to follow our own foolish counsels. That, that's ultimate judgment. But even in the midst of this admonishment and these warnings, we see these incredible promises of God. That's the fourth thing that we see in Psalm 81, promises. Verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Just open your mouth. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will, in other words, God says, I will provide for you. You're trying to find your satisfaction in all the wrong places. Stop. Just open your mouth wide and I will fill it and only he can fill it. So God says, I will provide for you. Then God says, I will protect you. Verses 13 through 15. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. They were continually, when you read the Old Testament, God's people were continually afraid of enemies and oftentimes they would form you know, unholy alliances and things like that out of fear because they were afraid of enemies. God, God says, if you would just walk with me, I would protect you. And so the promises here are promises of provision, promises of protection. Don't make it too complicated. God's job is to provide and protect for and protect his people. Your job is to walk with God. That's it. Just listen to him, obey him, trust, trust and obey. That's it. That's it, that's our job. God's job is to provide. He says, open your mouth wide, I'll fill it. You know, I'll, I'll give you all the protection that you need. You just walk with me. You just stay close to me. I'll take care of the rest. Verse 16, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. And it's interesting because earlier in the Psalm, he talked about the waters of Mirabah. So what happened there in the Old Testament? At the waters of Mirabah, God provided what? Water from the rock. And now he says, I'll provide honey from the rock. God, God is just saying here, you, you, you have no idea. You have no idea of the things that I would do for you if you would only listen to me and walk with me. You have no idea. 
Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine, even in the wilderness. And sometimes, especially in the wilderness. Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says he is able to bring sweetness out of what is harsh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this amazing word from you, Psalm 81. And we come to you repenting of the fact that we have tried to find satisfaction in all the wrong things and all the wrong places when it is only to be found in you. We thank you for the promises of the gospel. We thank you for the deliverance that we have in Christ. Help us to, to faithfully just preach, that, preach those promises to ourselves every day and continually go back to the work of Christ and what he has done for us. We thank you so much for the, the blood of, of Christ that was shed for sinners like us. We thank you that we were able to take shelter under the, the blood of the lamb and experience the forgiveness of sins and be delivered from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And we thank you for a risen savior. We know that our future is incredibly glorious because death has been defeated and that we have forever with you in heaven and ultimately in a new heaven and earth when our risen savior returns. And so help us to continually go back to those promises of the gospel. And Father, I pray for anyone who is here or anyone who is watching this video that does not have a relationship with Christ. Father, how I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts to open their hearts and to see the beauty of Christ and the love of Christ and what he has done for them, that they would turn to him and trust in him and his shed blood and his resurrection from the dead and the new life and the eternal life that is found only in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you wanna spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 
I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.